Welcome to episode 37 of You Are Not A Frog, how to manage conflict during COVID. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for GPs, doctors and other busy professionals in high stress jobs. Even before the coronavirus crisis, many of us were feeling stressed and one crisis away from not coping. We felt like frogs in boiling water, overwhelmed and exhausted. But this has crept up on us slowly, so we hardly notice the extra long days becoming the norm. And let's face it, frogs generally only have two choices. Stay and be boiled alive, or jump out of the pan and leave. But you are not a frog, and that's where this podcast comes in. You have many more options than you think you do. It is possible to be master of your own destiny, and to craft your life so that you can thrive even in the most difficult of circumstances. I'm your host, Dr. Rachel Morris, GP, turn executive coach and specialist in resilience at work. I work with doctors and other organisations all over the country to help professionals and their teams beat stress and take control of their work. I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control to survive and thrive in our work and lives. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. I'm super excited about this episode. We've got Jane Gunn back on the podcast. Now, she was a really, really popular guest. She talks about conflict. She is an expert in all things conflict. And she has so much experience about helping organisations and individuals get through some really severe conflicts with their colleagues. We talk about how to de-escalate stuff, how to make a molehill out of a mountain and how to address stuff before it turns into a conflict. So if you're working with other people, you really don't want to miss this episode. Here it is. It's so good to have me back on the podcast today, Jane Gunn. Now, Jane Gunn did a very popular episode with us, I think several episodes back now, all around conflict and why we're scared of it and what we can do to make it better. Now, Jane's a lawyer. She is a mediator and she's known as the corporate peacemaker, not the corporate pacemaker, which you have been mistaken for in the past. Yes. Jane, if I got all of that right, is there anything else that you would add to your massive portfolio of different roles? Oh gosh, well I, I'm also at the moment I'm chair of a board, so I chair a board of management at the Chartered Institute of Arbitrators, which is very interesting in this time in trying to manage an organisation that's going in and out of lockdown and, and staff issues and, and that kind of thing too. So for most of you will be listening to this podcast a few weeks after we've recorded it. So where we are at the moment is that Boris has just told us that we all have to stay alert and no one really knows what exactly that means. So I would say we're in a week of a little bit of confusion. Is that what you've noticed, Jane? Yes, a lot of people are saying they're confused and it's interesting, isn't it? You know, there's the issue of clarity and messaging and, and does that create confusion or even conflict for some people? And then on the other hand, you know, how much do we feel we want to be controlled and told exactly precisely what to do either by 
a government or by our employers. And so, you know, part of that to me comes down to how much are we able to take accountability and responsibility for our own actions, which is, I think, what mean, uh, Be Alert means, and how much do we really need very clear, specific messaging that tells us what to do? I mean, my take on what Boris said was, you know, this virus isn't going away anytime soon. It's still out there. We think that those that need to can get back, start to ease back into work, but the rest of you have got to be aware that there's still a danger out there. I think the message was that simple, really. But, you know, some people obviously like and prefer more specific guidelines. And, and certainly, you know, as employers and as family members, and, and for me as a chair of an organisation, we've got to think what specific messaging do people need to avoid that sense of internal conflict, I don't know what to do, or confusion when they're trying to work out how they should be managing their time and resources. It's easier in a way, isn't it? If the government just said, right, this is what you definitely can do and you definitely can't do, you've got a line in the sand which you can but but even then people wouldn't have been that happy would they of having their freedom well, and that's the thing i think that one of the things that i feel this situation brings out you know part apart from on the one hand a sense of let we're all in it together let's collaborate on the other hand a sense of divisiveness and of course there's always someone who will pick holes in whatever anybody else does and we have to realize that's going on and that's going on between political parties and people who want to undermine the messaging so you know we have to be a little bit careful how much we fall into that trap as well and so jane i wanted to speak to you because again during covid because i've had so many comments and so much feedback from the last episode saying how helpful it was and you know one thing i notice when i do my training programs when i'm coaching people is people are so scared of conflict and like we discussed before the more you leave it the more it just festers and gets worse and i've noticed that you know, we initially in the coronavirus crisis had this period where we we're all in it together. We've all got to help each other out and let's be as mm. kind to each other as we can. And let's make loads of allowances for everybody and almost anything goes. And I've seen that now we're sort of maybe slipping slightly out of that. And we're starting to find other people really quite irritating. <laughs> and we're starting to find that maybe some of those old conflict situations all those conflict people that we have conflict with it's starting to creep back in and, and maybe has now taken on a, a different slant and become maybe even more problematic is, is that the sort of thing that you've been seeing too definitely and i think it's a bit like a family christmas don't you think you know we start off with all this great excitement oh i can't wait to see the family we're all going to be together we're going to play all these games and eat all this food and then after a couple of days if you're all staying together or a couple of rounds of visiting the family you begin to think oh i'm exhausted you know a bit tired of the games i don't particularly want to do what auntie pat wants to do and the whole thing begins to you know deflate and I, I kind of think we've got to that kind of stage we thought you know we can get yes we can all get through this together but now we're at the stage a bit like children in the car going you know when are we going to get there I don't quite know you know and so we can't quite see the end nobody knows what the end looks like and so we're all getting a little bit irritable because there isn't that road map there isn't that sort of sense of vision as to what we're in it for and how we're going to really get out of it and help each other so I think that's one of the things that makes us irritable is not feeling in control of our own situation or of our own emotions and then lashing out at other people possibly. Yeah, so there's that feeling not feeling in control and I guess there's a big just background anxiety as well, isn't there, about 
well, our own physical safety, our own mental health, how our kids are doing. Are they all going to flunk out of every exam from now, from now onwards because they've missed so much Yay. incredibly important time at, at school and all that sort of thing. So my guess is that conflicts where they maybe used to have been slightly smaller and maybe being amplified a bit by our, our, our own sort of, we're all slightly triggered and we're all got a bit of amygdala threat going yes. on. Uh, definitely that and I think that there's also this overlap there's lots of stuff going on so what the trigger might appear to be for a conflict if you dig below the surface it's possibly that somebody's not getting on terribly well with their partner at home or you know there's there's stuff going on with the school children or, or and so on there's so many layers at the moment going on we're trying to homeschool the children trying to get on well with the spouse we're spending more time with and so on and so on and those layers can just trigger can be you know and something quite minor might be the last store it might be something that's been going on for a long time and then all of a sudden that explodes and so I think we've got to be mindful that what seems to be the issue on the surface probably isn't necessarily the issue underneath. Mm. And I know that you said in the past you know you talked about the importance of really understanding what the issues are and understanding what's going on and you know finding out the background I guess that's more important than ever now as well but how does one understand you know what it's like for the person how does one step into someone else's shoes without just being really nosy and a bit intrusive it's just careful questioning so I think you know if you do have an issue with someone taking the time to say you know I can see there's something here I can see you're upset or I can see I've upset you in some way whatever words seem to be right in that situation you know let's find some time to sit down and just talk about that and then in the talking about it, just to try and listen and say, you know, what's actually going on? What seems to have upset you? And, you know, what's really important to you? And, and the other big question that I always find in conflict resolution is asking someone what outcome would be great for you? Because when you try and look and say, well, what would make this better? Where are you trying to get to? People are often stuck. They go, well, I don't know. I know I'm cross and I know I'm irritated. But when you say what would make it better or where am I trying to get to? I've absolutely no idea. <laughs> So that can be a really powerful question. Yeah, because often I think we assume that someone wants a situation sorted out completely or they want to win or they want to, something to change. Often they almost just want to be heard and acknowledged or maybe thanked or treated slightly differently. Absolutely. And, you know, going back to my work in the medical accident and negligence field, you know, often when you have a legal case that is then mediated what often the parties or you know the the patients say is actually what I really want is for someone to listen to me someone to acknowledge what it felt like for me and you know maybe to put in place some steps that mean that won't necessarily happen in that way again so it can be simple things it isn't actually I want to be proved right I don't necessarily want a chunk of money I just want some simple listening to and acknowledgement. Yeah. It's interesting that because I think we always seem to assume worst intentions from people rather than the best intentions and we I've noticed that with com patient complaints and, and things often it is just we want to make sure this doesn't ever happen again to anybody else yeah. whereas the hospital trust or something might just see it as they're after money that's it they're just greedy grabbing patients and they don't actually know most people there are some people like that but most people genuinely don't and I guess that if you bring that down to more minor conflicts and I'm thinking of you know things at home maybe with my partner where I've walked into the kitchen and said good morning and he's not acknowledged me or something like that and I've got out absolutely fuming like why is he so rude we're all locking down together and, and then I'll speak to him about it later it's like 
I didn't even hear you. I was so engrossed in the email I was writing. Oh, sorry, sorry if I, you know, so, but what I hadn't done was assume good intention and give that benefit of the doubt. So we speak about something in conflict resolution called the ladder of inference. So often when we are triggered, the intention we infer from someone else, so the assumption we make is the worst one. You know, I'm assuming you deliberately ignored me or I'm assuming you were rude to me because that was what you intended to do. Whereas if we go to the bottom rung of the ladder and say, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to assume you didn't hear me and say, you know, react in that way. And that's hard to do. But if you can think about it as a ladder, you know, were you at the top of the ladder or were you at the bottom of the ladder? That can be helpful sometimes. And that causes us so much pain and stress, doesn't it, when we are assuming the worst intent and when I'm teaching people about our amygdalas how our amygdalas react to presume threats either physical threats often hierarchical threats or group threats the fact that the group might look like us mm. we immediately start telling ourselves these stories that they've done it to undermine me they've done that to me because they think I'm no good they don't like me and you're assuming the worst intent from people and those stories that we tell ourselves cause so much suffering and pain and just maybe stopping just to say, is that really true? Exactly. <laughs> or I don't or know. even ask the other person, you know, is that really true? But what we then do, Rachel, is we go on and having told that story to ourselves, we then possibly go home or phone a friend and we tell them the story and then we embellish the story. And then that story that we've just embellished becomes true. And the more people we tell our story to over here, you know, the more we can't backtrack from that story, the more we become invested in it. And that's how conflict actually escalates and becomes a big thing. You know, and of course, then the other person does the same on this side and they tell their story to someone else. And before you know it, you've got two circles of people who are, you know, seeing a completely opposite story and, and see the other person as a complete enemy. And that's literally on a family level, on a business level, and even on an international level, how conflicts escalate and and manifest yeah i can see that and especially I, I i have heard that you're often angrier on behalf of someone else aren't you than they are on behalf of themselves so yes if, if i've misinterpreted someone and i've then gone and whinged to my friend about it they feel very self-righteous on my behalf whereas i might be going oh maybe i did interpret that wrong, whatever <laughs> then they're saying look guess what's happened to rachel and, uh, uh, and then suddenly yeah you're right i can see how that just yeah. mushrooms and balloons yeah yeah, very much. So the question is, how do we stop it ballooning? And I think it's really great in the moment to go, oh, I'm not being very self-aware here. I've got this story in my head and I'm, maybe I'm on the wrong point in the ladder of influence, inference and I've inferred wrong and they actually meant that. So I'm just going to stop and check in. Now, that is quite high level thinking. And I'm not sure when, when I've been triggered, when I'm sort of backed in the corner and in my fight or flight zone, I'm not sure I can always muster up the mental resilience to do that how do we do that you're quite right and, and and you know even as a trained mediator there are times when with my partner I wouldn't do that you know we might have that altercation in the kitchen and I would say something that I later regretted and I think yes in the moment we possibly don't do the right thing but what happens with conflict there's a I'll often draw this up or I can I'll actually send you a little 
chart that you can send out with this, but there's something called the ladder of it, or the steps of escalation, and it goes down several steps. So at the top, you've got this thing where we stop talking to each other, and then we tell our stories to other people. And as it goes down, you know, those groups might, you know, they might send messages to each other, you know, often in offices, it's emails, or there may be a threat, a threatening letter from a lawyer, but you go down and down this ladder and escalation. There's two important steps there. The one just before the bottom is we forget what it's really about. And it becomes about not wanting to lose face. So I no longer want to lose face. I've invested myself in this story that I've told myself, the story I've told my friends. And if I now apologize to you or come to you or change the story in front of my friends, I've lost face or I've lost face if I was determined to win. And that becomes really important. And the final step on this whole ladder of escalation is called into the abyss together. And so often you see people unable to back down because the other person won't back down. So realizing that the end points are nothing to do what the, with what the original issue was, completely nothing to do with it. One's about not losing face and the other was, I really don't care now if I take you down, as long, you know, if I take myself down as long as you go down as well. And so it's how do you stop that escalation early? And it's just taking a pause to escalate and think, what could I do now? What can I do now? Yeah, I may have said the wrong thing in the moment. And I can see now that that's beginning to escalate. So having this ladder of escalation in your mind of thinking, I know it's going in the wrong direction. How do I I, I think about it like an escalator in a department store, actually. Someone's got to press the red button at the bottom and say, whoa, hang on, <laughs> we need to go back up. And sometimes going back up is literally like running up an escalator and going down escalator. It's really, really hard to do that. So you either need some strategies, some skills, or someone else to help you. Now, perhaps that could be someone who's simply a friend where you talk to them and go and they go, well, I think you've got that a bit out of perspective, haven't you? So having someone who instead of leaping to your defense can help you to unpack that in a kind of way that a coach might. And one of the things I do is conflict coaching, actually talking people through conflict situations and helping them to unpack it in their mind. Or you have the skills yourself to do that. Or at the end point, you might actually need somebody else to really come in and, and help the two of you together. And that can be very powerful too. But hopefully, if you understand the principles of conflict escalation, you can catch yourself really early and say, hang on, things are going to get out of control. What can I do? And that could be just taking a moment to reflect and just thinking, what else could I do? I know in the moment I should have perhaps looked at things in a different way, but perhaps now I could go back and just instigate a conversation with that person and say you know I'm sorry the power of apology is huge let's chat about this and let's understand where each of us is coming from. What's really interesting to me is this thing about losing face I can see so much that and then the whole I want to if okay I don't care if I go down as long as I take you down with me mm. and I've, I've been forced to watch a lot of Avengers movies recently <laughs> which basically have one plot and it always ends with you know the baddie realizes he's slightly wrong and he's going to die but you know he can't he's got a safe face so he's going to just take the entire world and everyone else down with them and I've seen that so many times how do you give someone an opportunity to save face so are there any sort of particular phrases and things that you can use that will 
help and I think apologizing is one of them already because uh, you're saying I'm really sorry so you're almost saying I don't care about me saving face which then gives I guess gives them permission to do that and I, that, that's hard for yourself isn't it the one thing that helps with that is you know we're always so worried no not, that's the wrong thing the one thing that helps me that is I once heard someone say you can achieve almost anything in this world if you don't worry about what people think of you or if you let other people take the credit or things like that so it's about actually leaving your own ego at the door and going you know what I'll apologize if that's going to move the situation forward and I don't mind if it makes me look like I've lost my face a bit or I've you know been a bit weak I think people really struggle with that one I think they do and it depends how important that is to them so I mean the key questions I ask and you know I'll give them to you now to think about for your listeners are to know who matters most to me so in this situation or in any situation who matters most to me you know what's most important to me about the people in this situation and then to know what matters most to them so sometimes what you assume matters most to someone doesn't matter most to them at all it's something else so to try and dig below the surface and find out what's really going on but what is it that matters most to me and then what matters most to me and just think of how can we share those things so sometimes that simple question just tell me what matters most to you about the situation can help to deflate that sense of oh well this is all about because our assumption again about what this is actually all about is often completely wrong it could be about something else you know we assume somebody wants power over us or they're trying to undermine us in the workplace we make those assumptions and it may not be about that at all, or it might be, but perhaps they're doing that for different reasons. So it can take quite a lot of digging and quite a bit of listening to try and unpack what that's about on both the levels that are both, you know, this is what it's about factually, but also emotionally, this is what it's about. This is how I'm feeling about this. You know, those could be really hard conversations to have and can take some time. And, you know, one of the things I do with my work is to split things up. You can't necessarily bottom everything out or get to the bottom of everything in one meeting you know people tend to get triggered again so perhaps you have a short meeting and then you think okay let's leave it for now and let's meet again tomorrow or next week or whatever's appropriate and and carry on the conversation that can work quite well yeah I can see that so I think this idea of being on an, an escalator which is going down but recognize where you are on it could be really really transformative for people what's the very first step on that escalator so the first step on the escalator is literally where you sort of turn your back on each other and you stop face-to-face dialogue so you know you either get you either get frustrated or the dialogue is becoming dysfunctional ineffective so you're still talking to each other but you're exchanging rude words or, or being aggressive with each other so if the dialogue has broken down or actually ended altogether that's the first step okay now that to me is really interesting because we have a lot of managers who listen to this podcast who manage teams of people and one of their real frustrations is they often end up in the middle of this yes so they get people coming to them saying oh so and so did this can you can you sort it out for me so as a manager if you spot that that has just happened with a couple of your team members or a team member and someone else in the organization what should you do 
What I try and encourage people to do, if it's possible, is to give responsibility back to employees. Now, they may not be skilled enough to do that. And that's one of the things I do is go into workplaces and skill people so that if you if somebody comes to you with a conflict, you can say to them, is there something you could do? It's not because what happens in workplaces often is that people tend to escalate issues you know to senior people so they go to their manager or and then the manager will go to somebody more senior so issues themselves get escalated up the chain of hierarchy when they possibly could be resolved at an earlier level so to have a sort of process in place which says it's the employee's responsibility to try and solve their own issues face to face but to give them the skills and support to do that so, you know is there some way that you can reassure those people how to have, you know, say, could you take a half hour with that person and just work out what it's all about? Now, that's not always possible. And in the workplaces I work with, I'm upskilling people, I'm enabling them to have the skills to have those face to face conversations. But otherwise, training the managers so that they've got the skills to understand how would I intervene as a sort of third party, a neutral third party and try and help these people to get back to that level of being able to have a sensible conversation about this. I get it. You'll push for time. And with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops, top five episodes, sorry, and leap into your happiest thriving self again. Just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz. And it's this conversation that people are so terrified of. You know, we've been talking about escalation when things are getting really bad because you've got lawyers, you've got tribunals, you've got all these sorts of things. And I know in the last podcast you said, you know, if you could just nip it right at the beginning and have those conversations, but that is what we completely avoid. And what was the phrase that you used? Something about things that are unseen? Ah, um, oh, whatever's unspoken is hardest to change. That is just so important, isn't it? Yeah, so a lot of times we've got all these stories going on in our head and we haven't found a way to tell the other person what we're thinking, what we're feeling, the impact on us. So there is, this, you know, the very simple process for effective confrontation, actually, which is to say to somebody, this is what I think you did. This is what I think I saw. This is what I, you know, this is what I experienced. Here's how I felt about that. And here's the impact it had on me. And then to stop. So if I say that to you, Rachel, you know, yesterday you said this, or I thought I heard you say this, it made me feel like this. And the impact it had on me was that I went home and felt awful for the rest of the day. What do you think? You know, it's then up to you to respond. I've given the power back to you instead of then going on and nagging and, and saying, you know, or being aggressive with you. I've simply stated the facts from my perspective about the impact it had on me and I want you to sort of tell me oh I had no idea I didn't know that or I did know that and I'm sorry or the reason I did that but I just leave that gap for you mm. to hear what I've said and then respond in the way that's appropriate to you and that's a, a sort of recipe if you like very simple recipe for effective confrontation 
which can be really, really powerful. And we talked at the beginning about control, but a lot of this is when we feel triggered, the way we deal with it is to try and take back control of a situation because we feel out of control emotionally or even physically. So we try and take back control by possibly controlling another person or controlling the outcome or wanting to be right. But actually the power is in giving control back to someone else in our conversation. So always at the end of a piece of conversation saying, and what do you think? And what would your response be? Or how do you feel about that? And that's a very simple technique for giving power back to the other person rather than having the last word and it's the having the last word that again triggers people because they just feel they've got to respond to that in a defensive way rather than be able to say well from my experience this is how it was I think that is key isn't it it's that listening part of the conversation that you have that's the most important isn't it so you can just Mm -hmm. understand and we teach this in a, a course I teach for Redwell the Lead Manage Thrive course we talk about difficult conversations and how to have them and it's yeah exactly what you just said and we talk about the importance of trying not to pick judgment when you describe the behavior or describe what happened so rather than you were really angry and out of order you say oh you raised your voice and uh, you know yeah that's right so one of the things I would encourage people to do if they're going to have an effective conversation with someone at the beginning of this escalator is to write it down first. So write down, because if you, if you simply go in and you then you react out of anger. So I call write it to write it. <laughs> write like it, it to write it. So write down, often if people come into a legal mediation with me, they come in with what they call a position statement. So they've written down their legal position or their lawyers have, but there's no reason why in a simple face-to-face dialogue, you couldn't simply write down you know, using that framework for effective confrontation, the words that you want to say. So this is what I'm going to say and, you know, have that framework there. And then you've got a prompt for your conversation to help you. You know, often you see at Wimbledon or, or in big sporting competitions, you'll see you know, very, a very high profile tennis star will get a tiny crumpled piece of paper out of their pocket and they'll read it. And that's the notes from their coaches to say, stay calm you know, focus on the ball, simple things like that. They need a prompt and we do too. So, you know, if you were in a, in a big tennis match on Wimbledon Centre Court, you would be triggered and you'd need, how do I centre myself? Well, I just need those few notes from my coach. I need that framework. And we all do. So there's nothing wrong with having a little framework for coaching yourself. <laughs> yeah, I think that's so important because you know when if you do any negotiation if anyone's read anything about negotiation one of the a really great easy book is the getting to yes, yes book which has got a lot of these principles and talks about how we come in with these positions but actually what you need to dig under is to your needs and your interest in your needs mm. you talk about preparing and so many of us go into conflicts completely unprepared we just think oh let's just go with what the other person says and I just think that's a disaster because unless you know because you'll then be thinking from your amygdala response zone because you'll they'll guarantee something will probably trigger you one really helpful tip I've heard I'd be interested to see what you think about this is that you get a piece of paper and I did this with an awkward conversation I had to have recently and on one side you write down everything you want to say <laughs> like mm. I don't think you're treating me fairly and you're just out for this and that and that and the other you write down how you could say that, but in a, a way that other people could hear yes. that wasn't judgmental, that was, you know, and actually I then came out with a, 
wow, that's so helpful. <laughs> and then I was able to use those phrases Very useful. rather than the other one. There's another technique similar to that, Rachel, where sometimes if you've had a, you know, a misunderstanding with someone, you write down in the left-hand column, for example, all the thoughts that were going through your head. And then in the right-hand column, what actually came out of your mouth and that's where you're not saying things mm -hmm. so you know I was thinking all these awful things about my best friend because she'd upset me but I didn't dare have the conversation so what actually came out of my mouth was something else mm -hmm. and that's really revealing because it says do you know that's the unspoken stuff here's all the unspoken stuff and here's the stuff that came out of my mouth and that too so this write it to write it can be quite powerful really powerful but presumably that writing down is just for you rather than to share with the other person. Yes, I think if you shared it with the other person, it could be, again, quite triggering. Unless you both decided, well, let's both write down. But, you know, you could have a sense where you said, I'm going to write down three things that I felt. And you could write down three things that you felt. Yeah. You could make some ground rules about that and say, you know, perhaps that would, would this be helpful? And always, I think it's down to people to sort of create their own ground rules, their own sort of principles around the conversation. What would be helpful? So one of the things I do, I don't create ground rules when I go into a facilitation or a mediation and say, look, nobody's to speak over each other and we must do it this way. I say, what would make this conversation most effective? What would you like the other person to do? Well, I, you know, I know this person often interrupts me, so I'd like it if she didn't interrupt me or whatever. Or that can come up as we go along. I'd say, well, I notice one of you is hardly speaking. She said, well, it's because I can't get a word in edgewise. Well, what would you like to happen? Well, I'd like to be given a space to speak. from So you create your own sort of principles, your own ground rules to say, this is what enables us to talk about these very difficult things. And um, these are the ground rules we've come up with. So it enables people to be a bit creative, but again, to have ownership of the process rather than feel controlled by it. Yeah. And I know that you've talked in the past about the importance of actually having a process that the whole organisation uses, that the whole sort of practice uses, that you're used to using, that you have words that trigger, you think, oh, no, this is a bit of a difficult conversation, straight conflict situation. I've had my warning now. You know, how important is that, do you think, at the moment with coronavirus and COVID, or is it a completely different situation? I just think it's fundamental and I think you can start at the family level. I mean, most of us probably don't have anything written down for our families, but nevertheless, we probably have got understandings about how we do these things. So we could make them more explicit. I give you a little example of that in a minute. But definitely for organisations, having what I call a sort of framework for early conflict resolution is really, really important. And it can be written down. In fact, it's very helpful if it's written down, but it can be really, really simple. And in fact, I'll send you, I've just done a blueprint for this, Rachel. So I send that to you that can be sent out Thank to you. everybody. But it's simply, you know, it's simply this understanding that the first level is we have a face-to-face -face conversation. The next level is this. At what stage would it be appropriate to escalate from face-to-face -to, -face to the next level? At what stage and how long would we leave it? So it's being clear in your organization how do we escalate things and when what skills do we need to be able to have the conversations at these stage and how do we upskill at least a few people to be able to manage these different stages of conflict resolution so that we can manage as early as possible so it's called an early conflict resolution framework or something like that i was talking to someone recently that said that they'd had this sort of training in their organization and now 
they'd be talking about having these courageous conversations or, or something like that. So now if someone said to them, um, can we and you just have a bit of a courageous conversation? It, it was a bit of a joke, but it did let the person know that maybe there was something coming that was going to be slightly tricky. Is that something you'd advocate, getting that sort of language like that? Yes, I mean, I think the sense is, you know, again, design your own process. Whatever language works for you, I think is appropriate. So I give the example of, I think it was an electricity provider called their conflict management process circuit breakers. They needed to break the circuit, you know, the circuit of conflict time. So they chose language that related to their profession and they made it, personalised it for their organisation. So I think having a bit of fun with it and saying this isn't something that's being imposed on us, it's something we all want to do that makes sense for all of us, that adds value for all of us. Let's sit down and say what would make sense, what should we call it, who will be trained in this, how will we learn some more skills can be great i'll send you again uh, rachel i've made and i think you've been kind enough to send them out already but for this particular crisis that we're in the covid crisis i've made a selection of 10 mini videos which i make and they're perfect for showing and um, they're completely free but they're perfect for showing you know maybe just having a coffee break in the staff room or something and saying let's have a look at one of jane's videos what does that what does that trigger for us? What kind of things could we do as a result of the lessons we learn from that? So that's what they're intended for, just to sort of trigger conversation and think, oh, and I wonder how we could put that into practice. I think that would be really useful because I think if you've already talked about that as a surgery or as a department or as you know a firm, if you've talked about, about that beforehand, then it's easier to raise. I can imagine maybe a GP surgery talking about conflict prophylaxis, you know. <laughs> oh, I can I can see the possible conflict. Let's do some prophylaxis. What are we gonna talk? You know, let's have that courageous conversation or whatever. But because I mean I know so many GP partnerships or hospitals apartments where there's been conflicts that have been rattling on for years and now no one really knows how they started but they say it's clash of personality but probably just started with one thing and then people have grown like this and this and this and if they'd have just had that conflict prophylaxis talk it just would be so much better and so much nicer place to work it's horrible isn't it working somewhere where there's unresolved conflict it really causes a lot of stress and the average actually of time that something that's not resolved goes on where people don't actually leave is three to five years so you're quite right three to five years people will persist with a situation of unhappiness what you might call a toxic culture but a culture that isn't a happy one uh, can persist for a long time before it's actually and usually then something bad happens that triggers, oh, we've got to do something about this. And of course, in a hospital scenario, that can actually be an increase in patient deaths or poor outcomes for patients. And all of a sudden there's an investigation and then everybody says, well, actually, nobody's been getting on around here for a long time or these two teams haven't been getting on and and you come to the bottom of it. So, you know, it's important for all of us in every workplace, but in medical workplaces, it can have quite profound impacts. Yeah, I think there is a lot of research coming out about that. There's a movement in healthcare called Civility Saves Lives, which is really around the around how much mental energy, if, if someone just snaps at someone in theatre, then the theatre nurse is more likely to make a mistake because the brain is taken up with trying to process the atmosphere and what's going on and, you know, and we're unable to focus on the task. So I, I do think it's a patient safety issue. It's, it's a business critical issue. It's really important. 
It is. So really everybody, this is fundamental in every workplace, that everybody has at least a very basic training in early conflict resolution and that forms the foundation. One of the interesting pieces of research that came out of Harvard Business School for me is that if you want collaboration in your workplace, the thing you must do, the foundational thing you must do is accept technology and actively manage conflict. And that should sit at the bottom of your organisation, the acceptance acknowledgement and active management of conflict. And only then can collaboration, can these collaborative teams be built on top of that. And actually what this article goes on to say is that a lot of organisations with the best intentions invest in a lot of team training and away days and all sorts of things. And yet they haven't got that foundation right. They haven't done the training in active conflict management. Yeah. And then I guess if you're training in active conflict management, you get used to doing it and recognising it early, then you become not frightened of conflict anymore. And actually, one thing I teach a lot about with teamwork is that conflict is a good thing, because if you're disagreeing with someone and you're having good, positive conflict, then you're going to come out with a better product. You're going to come out with a better pathway. But we're so scared of it because it's gone wrong so many times that we just go, oh, no, I can't disagree with that person. I can't do it. And actually... The more good conflict you have, the better your team will be, the better your organisation will be. So I actually talk about conflict as being the magic ingredient, the magic of conflict. And I also talk about it being like water in that if you have water in the, we may have talked about this in the last podcast, but if you have water in the environment, if you don't have enough water, your garden won't grow. So you won't have a vibrant team. You won't have a dynamic environment. If you have too much water as we had this winter you know everything will get swamped and bogged down and you'll have floods so what we do in the environment is we catch water early in whatever systems we've got aqueducts aqueducts and water butts and all sorts of things or we have an umbrella but we catch it early and we channel it and this is what we have to do with conflict is we've got to say catch it know it's going to rain catch the water early and channel it in a way that we can use it to add value to grow and become sort of vibrant rather than be swamped by it and you know have everything overwhelmed and be overwhelmed by it so that it's just a very simple analogy which i love yeah and it does build relationships weirdly i think people that i've had a bit of conflict with but we've worked through it the relationship is even even stronger and you sort of feel i don't know if i have had a bit of a, a clash with them and we've worked through i feel much warmer to them afterwards weird yeah well i don't think it's weird i think you know i think we've been more vulnerable with someone i think and vulnerability is now seen as being one of the keys to effective management actually yes. It's interesting because we've gone, we've moved away from the sort of 1970s and 1980s sense of, you know, to be an effective manager, you've got to be a hierarchical leader. You've got to be, you know, all about command and control and, you know, telling people what to do. And we now know that actually the most effective leaders show a sense of vulnerability of their own. That's not a sense of weakness, but a sense of vulnerability. But also they acknowledge and empathise with others. One of the marvellous people that to watch at the moment, we're talking about sort of effective leadership is Jacinda Ardern in the, in the New Zealand Parliament, uh, New Zealand Prime Minister. Mm-hmm. How she's been able to empathise with the, with the public about you know, what they must be going through and therefore why what she's saying is important. And it's so important in leadership. What we're actually looking for in a culture is... A sense of safety we all want to feel I'm safe here 
not only I belong here, but also I feel safe. I feel I'm not going to be triggered or I feel I'm not going to be criticized or I feel I'm not going to be made to feel wrong. And then we can think, it doesn't matter if I make a mistake. I was thinking back today, uh, something reminded me of one of my bosses a long time ago. And he would always say, if I made a mistake in my legal work, what are we going to do to solve this? Rather than how could you possibly have made that mistake? Now look, it's gonna cost the firm a fortune. He would just say, okay, we all make mistakes. I don't expect you to make this mistake again, but what should we do? What would you suggest we do to, to get out of it? And that was just a brilliant lesson and way of being a collaborative leader, really. Yeah, and it's so important because, you know, I think any hospital you go into, any GP surgery you go into, any other organisation you go into, they're all they're paying lip service to this. They're going, yes, we encourage people speaking up and we encourage this and we got your you know and they'll, they'll say this in their value statement and stuff but they don't live it out <laughs> you know they then stop the, any sort of whistleblowers that come out they crush straight away and the, there's a local hospital trust that had it been in the news dreadfully recently for doing just that rather than encouraging the vulnerability so i think the only way you can encourage it as an organization is to have it modeled by your leaders don't just say it don't just stick it on your value sheet on the wall you've got to model it the most important thing for me, Rachel, that comes out of this COVID crisis is that there's an opportunity now for organisations, whether they are healthcare organisations or public organisations of any size, to be able to model this possibility of collaborative relationships to the public at large. If we within our organisations can say, here are our core values, and here's what they look like in practice every day. Here's the way in which we speak to members of the public. Here's the way in which we speak to each other in front of members of the public or even behind closed doors. This is modeling what this, what everybody's hoping there'll be a new world post COVID. Well, it only be a new world if we make it happen. Nobody's going to make it happen for us. It's up to us. And who are the leaders? Who are the models of that? Well, it's us. We are the ones, if we model that in our families, if we model it in our organisations, and all of that is based on effective conflict management. All the skills that come out of mediation are the ones that model what society needs to look like if we're not going to go down this adversarial route. And I honestly believe now is a great opportunity, but we have to know, particularly in an organisation, what's a structured way of modelling effective collaboration. Wow, that's so important and on that note i think sadly we're out of time but jane i'm going to ask you in a second your three top tips for managing conflict during covid and then i'm also going to ask will you come back on the podcast another time because i think we could just keep talking about this and i think it's such an important topic jane tell me what your top three tips during covid for managing conflict I guess, you know, maybe take the time to write those things down. So have this kind of, you know, simple framework. I would say, you know, take the time to listen and reflect, listen to yourself and listen to each other. And then I'm going to finally introduce you to Maurice the Mole. So you'll see Maurice the Mole Ooh. in my videos, if you look. Here's Maurice the Mole. And so the whole thing about conflict resolution, as somebody was actually in an NHS workshop I was running, said... What you do, Jane, is you help people make molehills out of mountains instead of mountains out of molehills. So one of the things we tend to do is we tend to escalate things and we end up with a mountain. To manage a mountain, you know, is, you know, as we know, to scale a mountain is impossible. If you can reduce it to a molehill, it could be managed by one man and his spade. <laughs> so here's Boris the Mole, and as you see, you'll see he features in 
my videos so that's my last tip <laughs> make more mountains i love that and if you're watching on youtube you'll have seen the, the cute little mole that that jane has so okay jane how can people get hold of you if they'd like to get hold of you so my website is janegun.co.uk very simple uh my email is jane at janegun.co.uk and i will send you rachel a link for the free videos and resources that I've let out for this sort of COVID time, this time of change, challenge and crisis. And I'll send you the blueprint for conflict management. And if anybody else would like some further help or training, I do have online training, which can be very simple and cost effective if people would like to think about that too. I just think that your services will be massively in demand and actually any organization who wants to you know really nail this thing about conflict they really need to you know get somebody like you and stuff it's such a good service you're providing thank you thank you Rachel thank you so thank much. you so much for being on the podcast and we will get you back another time and yeah good to chat have okay. a good rest of the day okay bye-bye bye, -bye. bye. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please subscribe to my You Are Not A Frog email list and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have enjoyed it, then please leave me a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. So keep well, everyone. You're doing a great job. You got this.